an interesting track sprint from preaching up in the multipurpose room to uh, making sure you get down here before everybody's like, where are they at, though? Um, so, hey, this morning, Linda, thank you for reading that for us. This morning, our, our passage really is put into frame, um, if you read it, through the lens of John 1, 17 through 18. So John 1, 17 through 18 says this, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth was brought through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's, he who is at the Father's side has made him known to us. Jesus brought grace and truth. And then it says, he came to make God known. He came to reveal to us the heart of the Father. When we, as Gentiles, didn't know God, Jesus came to make that happen. And so if we know these things, if we understand these things and we read our scripture through the lens that God is trying, that Jesus is trying to tell us about God, what is he trying to tell us through John 5 this morning? Well, firstly, it starts off with, after this or after these things, which means every time you read that in scripture, it means you should probably go back and figure out what were those things. And we'll do that this morning. We're going to go back here in just a minute. But it says, after these things, there was a feast in Jerusalem. So there's a feast, which is a big old Jewish party. That's what it is. It's a festival. And the historians say that this festival was the festival of weeks, or Shavat, meaning all of the men of Israel are supposed to be in Jerusalem at this appointed time to give their first fruits to the Lord. Much like our tithe today, they would take their top percentage the best fruit that they had, the best grain, whatever they harvested, and they would bring it to Jerusalem to celebrate before the Lord, to praise God for the bountiful harvest that they've had. There are thousands upon thousands of Jews descending on the city at this point where Jesus, obeying the customs, obeying the laws of the land, is also coming because in Deuteronomy 16, 16, it says, three times a year all of your males shall appear before me. This is God giving a command. All of your males shall appear before me at the place that I choose. And Jerusalem is that place. So this is one of those times. It's a busy city. It's a busy weekend. And there are tons of people there. And it says in our scripture, that's when Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. Now, there in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, there's a pool. First off, the sheep gate. It's called that because... That's really what it was used for, bringing sheep in. This gate is actually directly connected to the temple. This is the gate by which the Jews would bring their offerings into the temple. Whether it be grain, whatever the, the feast or the festival dictated, whether it be Passover, bringing sheep in to be sacrificed before the Lord, that's why it was called the sheep gate. This is where you would bring your offerings in before the Lord. So that means thousands upon thousands of God's chosen people would walk this road this very weekend. But it says there's a pool there, just off the road. You can look up a map of Jerusalem, and it'll show you literally had to walk past it. And it says by that pool, there were a multitude of disabled people, some blind, some lame, some withered some paralyzed. There was a multitude there. Now the word they say, 
Bethesda. In Aramaic, Bethesda. In Hebrew, Bethzatha, which has two meanings. One, it can mean house of grace or house of mercy. And the other one, it can mean house of shame. The world defines it one way. Jesus takes that and defines it a different way. So you've got these five colonnades, these five roofed areas surrounding these pools, and it says that that's where all of these sick people are hanging out. And why are they there? Some of your versions probably leave out verse 4. It says, For for an angel of the Lord would go down at a certain time into the pool and stir up the water. Then whoever stepped in first at the stirring of the water was made well and cleansed of whatever disease they have. Now that was added later in certain manuscripts. Because it's important to understand that the reason these people stayed there is they believed that when the water moved, an angel was causing it to move. And it was an all-out free-for-all because they believed the first person to get in the water after that water moved would be cleansed of whatever infirmity that they had. For them, it was life or death. I just want to get in the water. I just want to be healed. I just want to be healed. And that's what gets us to verse 5, which is where Jesus has this encounter with this man. Jesus says there's a certain guy who's been there for 38 years, and Jesus see him lying, sees him lying there, and it, he knows that he's been there a long time. He asks the man, do you want to be made well? He responds, sir, no one will help me get in the water. And while I'm trying to, someone gets in before me. Then Jesus says, get up, take up your mat, and walk. See, this man has an ailment. We don't know exactly what it is. But we know he has to lie in place, and he has mobility issues, and he can't hardly move. And it's been that way for 38 years. For me, that's literally a lifetime, plus four years. That's incredibly long. For 38 years, this man has been there, unable to move, saying, help me, please. I just want to get in the water and be healed. Jesus sees and knows that he's been there. Now keep in mind, this is during the festival or the Feast of Shabbat, where on this same road, passing by this man, are thousands of Jews walking into the temple to go, God, you're so good. Take my fruits. Be pleased by my offering. Be proud of me, God, for giving you this awesome wheat or this incredible bouquet of oranges and all this great stuff. Church, woe to us. If we pass by those that are needy and need our help, but we think that sitting in this place on Sundays and Wednesdays is pleasing to God. Our faith is shown by our actions. And Jesus, although the world shunned the sick, shunned the disabled, shunned those that are hurting, Jesus says, I'm going to talk to that guy. You need help? You've been that way for 38 years? Keep in mind, God commands these people, the Jews, his chosen people, to all come to Jerusalem three times a year, three times 38. I'm bad at math, but that's a lot. Three times a year, 
all of the Jews of God's chosen people walk by and go, I'm not helping that guy. I'm not helping that guy. Jesus walks by and says, hey, you've been here a while. I'll help you. And if we carry the name Christian, if we call ourselves those who are Christ-like, we also have to reach out to those in need. The heart of God is with people like that. Jesus stepped into a place all the other Jews, all the world would ignore. Jesus stepped in. See, this past summer, we're the Olympics. And my wife is an Olympic fanatic. She loves the Olympics. She watches them all the time. And uh, I think Jesus would have watched the Olympics because he loves every Olympian. That's easy. Right now, the Paralympics are going on. I think Jesus would be at the Paralympics. Because as we see in Scripture, he's near those that the world says aren't good enough. He's near those that are outcasted. He's near those that are downtrodden. And I want you guys to check out uh, this video. You're such an inspiration. So brave. You remind me to be happy. I love that you don't let it get you down. Good for you. It breaks my heart. Look at you out and about. You push us all to do better. You are superheroes. Really? Yeah, we're superheroes, all right. We're getting the kids out the door on time. We push strollers. Yes, on El Passeggino. Grateful. But there's nothing special about us. We have more kids. Kill houseplants. We're decimal two base. Get sunburn on holiday. We're politicians and lobsters. <laughs> Pension advisors. We, we get, get many. We met on a blind date. <laughs> <laughs> we can laugh at ourselves too. We love our grannies. And our goggles. We swipe right. We're going first dates. So why the pedestals are nice? And the pity tolerated. We're not special. That's not what it's like. Non è la nostra realtà. And only when you see us. Wonderfully human. Only then. Can we all break down these barriers? That give us support. That's one billion people. of the world's population has a disability. 15%. And the world says, like they said, can we do something to break down these barriers? Because let's be real, the world's not going to do it. That's our job. Where the world said, you go sit by the pool for 38 years, ain't nobody coming to help you, Jesus said, no, no, that's my job. That's our job, church. Let's break down those barriers, let's reach out to those in need. I told you at the beginning it says, after these things, which means to put this whole encounter into context, we need to go back and look at what things is it talking about that Jesus just did. Well, in John chapter 4, the first thing that happens is God and Jesus goes through Samaria, which if you know anything about Samaria, that's a no-no. We don't go there. That's like Brandon or Pearl, right? If you're, if you're a Madison Central fan, uh-uh, whoa, we don't do that. In John chapter 4, Jesus goes, I'm going to Samaria. Yeah, they're intermarried Jews and Gentiles, big no-no. I'm going because I love them. 
And he gets there in the middle of the day, in the middle of the heat, and there's one woman getting her water. And she goes there because she wants to avoid people. She wants to avoid people because she's been labeled by society, by the world, an adulterer, an outcast. You are unworthy to hang out with us, and we're probably going to talk about you a lot. So she goes to avoid people. That's like you choosing to push mow your lawn at 2 p.m. in the Mississippi summer, right? Why would you do that unless you're just crazy or glutton for punishment? Nobody wants to go out in the middle of the heat and do that. I'm still trying to convince my wife to let me get a zero turn for like my quarter acre lot, okay? Uh, She's not having it. But he goes there. Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to meet you on that hot day. I'm going to meet you, although no one else wants to talk to you because you've been labeled an outcast. I'm going to be there. And what does he do? Just like it says in John 117, he offers her grace and truth. Let me give you living water. You'll never thirst again. But then at the end of his encounter with her, he says, but go and sin no more. The man you're with now is not your husband. And you need to stop that. And it says at the end of that, even the disciples, when they showed up and they saw Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman at the well, they're like, he's talking to a woman, that's a no-no. And she's a Samaritan, and they're shocked. It says they're amazed, which is not like a cool amazement, like, woohoo. No, they're shocked, horrified, like, I can't believe Jesus is doing this. But they knew their place, because it says none of them wanted to bring it up to Jesus. No, John, you tell him. I ain't telling him, you tell him, Peter. Nobody wanted to confront Jesus because Jesus was not going to let what culture or what the world defined keep him from doing what was right in the eyes of God. And then the next encounter in John 4, 46 is a nobleman comes to Jesus. This is right before he decides to come to Jerusalem. He's on his way and a nobleman comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, my son is dying and I need your help. Will you please heal my son? Now Jesus stops and he offers him truth first this time. He says, Oh, you people are never going to believe unless you see signs. You guys aren't going to believe that I am who I say I am unless you see signs and wonders that I do. And then he tells the man, Your son will live. And the man goes back home and he finds that his son has been healed And one of his attendants, his servants there, says, yeah, he he became well at this point. And the man remembers that that's the exact moment that Jesus said, your son will live. A couple things here. This is a nobleman. He's a royal official. He's a big deal. He's wealthy. He has servants. He's asking for Jesus' help. Jesus gives him grace and truth, a little different order this time, but he gives them both. He doesn't turn them away, but something I want you to notice about these. First, Jesus approaches the outcasted woman and the disabled man. He approaches them. He makes a point to go and be in their midst. He approaches them. The rich man, the nobleman, he approaches Jesus. Secondly, the order in which Jesus gives grace and truth is important. For the outcasted woman, for the disabled man... First, he offers living water. First, he says, you are healed. He gives them grace. He still tells them the truth. Tells the disabled man, go and sin no more. Tells the the outcasted woman, you better go and sin no more. You know what's right. 
But with the nobleman, he offers him truth first. You're not going to believe, are you, unless I do signs for you guys. But then he still gives him grace. Lastly, Jesus uh, visits the woman and the disabled man personally. He personally goes and has a face-to-face encounter with the outcasted woman and the disabled man. But when the nobleman says, will you come to my house and heal my son? Jesus doesn't go. Kind of like Jesus made a house call. Jesus just said, hey, he's going to live. He's good. I had a student text me this week saying, Corey, can we sit down and talk? And I said, I can't right now. I'm not in the office. I'll be driving here in a second. You can call me if you need to, and we can talk, um, or we can, we can meet up at a later time. And they said, I don't want to call you because it's important, and I want to sit down and talk face-to-face. A phone call is better than a text, but it's not the same importance of sitting down with someone face-to-face. There is a different weight when you sit down and have an interaction with someone face-to-face. And Jesus chooses to sit down with the outcast and the disabled man. The nobleman comes and Jesus gives him that grace and heals his son because Jesus loves us all. And he welcomes us all. But Jesus doesn't go to him. He says, your son will be made well. I'm going to spend time with this disabled man, this outcasted woman. I'm going to be with them. And Jesus shows us the heart of the Father. He's close to the downtrodden. He's close to the outcast. He's close to the disabled. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the persecuted. And if Jesus is making a point to approach and to have face-to-face interaction with those that the world says aren't good enough, those that the world says, yuck, get out of here, you're different. Church, that is our job. We're to be like Christ. Who are we approaching? Who are we spending time with? Some of you may have heard of a guy named Nick Vujicic. He's a well-known motivational speaker and evangelist. Um, and at 10, at 10 years old, he says, he says this in one of his talks. He says, at 10 years old, I tried to kill myself because the bullying at my school convinced me that I was a mistake. 10 years old. But someone told him about Psalm 139 and that he was fearfully and wonderfully made. Someone decided to share with him the love of Christ. Church, that's our job. And if you don't know about Nick Vujicic, he was born with a rare disease. He has no arms or legs. He has a wife and four kids. And he talks about Jesus all over the world. But the world told him, at 10 years old, you're a mistake. You don't even belong here. Until someone decided to be like Christ And have that interaction with him and saying you are loved, you are well made, and you have a God in heaven who is excited and excited for you. The last thing we're going to look at this morning is the response in John 5 to this healing of this man. In John 5 it says, verse 9, Jesus told him, get up, and it says, immediately that man got up, took up his mat, and walked. Immediately that man said, Jesus told me to get up. I'm out. Got his mat and walked. If you're wondering what I just picked up, this is actually a ministry of our church. 
This is made out of Kroger and Walmart bags. Um, the Map Makers Ministry at our church actually weaves these together for the homeless. And they're sacks that you can lay out on the ground, little pockets of air, actually kind of comfortable. Um, but this man picks up his mat because Jesus told him to, and he goes. And the Jews stop him and said, whoa, 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 whoa. You're carrying your mat on the Sabbath? You're carrying your mat on the Sabbath? How could you do that? You're breaking our customs and our laws. And this guy says, look, I don't know who healed me, but whoever did, he told me to pick up a mat. And the fact that he healed me of something that I've been in for 38 years, I wouldn't be like, nah, dude, I'm going to pick up my mat and I'm going to go. This guy didn't know who Jesus was before Jesus approached him. When he asks him, do you want to be made well, he's not asking him like, really, you've been here 38 years and you haven't got in? He's asking him, do you want to be made well? And the guy's like, of course I do, but nobody will help me in the pool. And Jesus is like, you don't need the pool. I got you. But the Jews, God's chosen people, are so worried about the fact that he's carrying his mat that they won't even celebrate the fact that for 38 years he was bedridden and now he is walking. Church, that can't be us. That can't be us that we are so wrapped up in the legalism of things that we won't do what's right in the eyes of God. We're so worried what people think. Just like the disciples in Samaria. Oh, Jesus is talking to her. What? Oh my goodness. Are we so worried what people think going to keep us from living for the Lord? Are we so worried about the laws of man that it will keep us from living out our faith? See, the world outcasts people for tons of different reasons. Because they look different. Because they smell different. Because they talk different. Uh, because they ain't from around here. Um, for what they can't do, maybe for what they've done, the list goes on and on and on and on. Reasons that we don't want to deal with those people. But church, we have to fight for those who no one will fight for for 38 years. And woe to us if we walk past, coming to a place like this, someone asking, begging for the light of Christ in their lives. What does this look like for, for us today? Like, Corey, that's, that's old time. Nobody does that anymore. In Denmark and Iceland, these two countries are majority Christian nations. Over 95% of babies that are prenatally diagnosed with abnormalities are aborted. Christian nations. Closer to home, it's legal for someone in the United States to refuse a person with a disability an organ transplant in over half the states, including our own. If you have a disability, a doctor can say, you're not worth the organ transplant. The world wants to dictate who's worthy of life, and Jesus says to us, every single person is who I died for. What about every day? What about smaller things? My wife has a, a friend who's blind who lives in Nashville, and he'll be refused Uber service because he has a guide dog. Church, Jesus made a point to interact with people like these because they are beloved and treasured in the heart of God. I've got one more quote that I want you to hear. And this is Nick, uh, Nick Vujicic that I told you about earlier.
Imagine God sees me and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome home. And then he sort of looks over my shoulder and says, who'd you bring? Amen. I want to run that race, the race that matters, the race that counts. And I'd rather be paralyzed in the arms of Jesus in that race than be the first prize winner and runner in any other race. What a statement. I'd rather be paralyzed in the arms of Jesus than run any other race. Church, Jesus has made a way that we can be in the presence of the Father. And this morning we celebrate that. That he reached out and touched the ugly parts of the world that no one else wanted to. Set the example for us. And he died on that cross for us and we celebrate that. That he has offered us grace and truth. And so this morning, I invite you to partake in the great Thanksgiving with me. I think we have the words um, on the screen, so I'll say, The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the bread of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered from us captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God and spoke to us through your prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise you and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. Your spirit anointed him to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recover sight to the blind and liberty to those who are oppressed and to announce the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. When the Lord ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit on the night in which he gave himself up for us. He took bread, gave thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body, broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant, it's my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins, drink of it as often as you do in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Christ Jesus, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let's pray. God, pour out your Holy Spirit here and on these gifts of bread and wine and make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood 
By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. Until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet, through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy Catholic Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen.